Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Hey, in my experiences in a small church, one or two things are about to happen when a youth pastor steps up to preach. Number one, he's either about to preach a short sermon or he's about to resign. <laughs> so today, if it's all right with y'all, I'm just going to preach because I've been told I still got about five or eight months left, but I'm hoping for a little bit longer than that. So we're going to pray for that. But hey, before I get started and too in-depth with this message, man, I want to ask y'all a favor. I want to ask that you would, um, man, just bow your heads and say a prayer for you and for your hearts this morning that you would be ready to receive what the Lord has for you. I'd also like for you to pray for me as I communicate this. As Pastor Howe said, this is not one of my favorite things to do, but I pray that the Lord uses me to help you this morning. So, God, we just come to you now and we pray that as we step into this time of um, God, the sermon that you would just take me out of the way. God, use me as a vessel to communicate to your children this morning. God, I pray for their hearts that it's ready to receive. God, we love you. We thank you. And in all things, you get the glory. Amen. All right. So, in preparing for this topic this morning, Pastor Howe came to me and he said, Hey, man, I want you to preach. And I said, Absolutely not. You're crazy. And he, I said, wait a minute, what topic would you like for me to cover? Because I can do it if you give me a topic. He said, wide open, you can preach about anything, you tell me. You got two weeks to preach. And I was like, oh, man. So the whole first week, I debated on if I was going to do this or not. And then this week, I sermon prep. So I called my mom and my dad, asking for, you know, some fatherly and motherly advice, and said, hey, I'm preaching. I don't know where this is going. Can you help me out? And they said, don't preach too long because the friend's kitchen line is too long where we get out. So we're going to keep this thing short. So I'm going to try and get you out of here so we can beat the crowd. Man, I don't know about you, but I love football season. And it's back. Praise the Lord. I mean, everybody played yesterday except... My team, the LSU Tigers, kick off tonight. And I want everybody in this church watching it at 6.30 tonight. All right? So we kicking off tonight. And I'm fired up because I love football season. I, I, I just love it. Everything about it, the camaraderie, um, you know, LSU, Bama fans like Miss Kelly, we don't get along during football season. But every other day, we get along. So I love football season. I love the LSU Tigers. Well, last year, I'm going to tell you all a little story. I was invited to go to an Ole Miss game. And I was, okay, I was like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go have a good time. And so I, I get invited, and I say, yes. I say, I will gladly go. This is going to be fun. And I'm thinking I can just wear, like, a neutral color, like a black T-shirt or a white T-shirt. And as I get more details, I find out we're going to this, like, bachelorette party thing in the Grove, and I need to dress up a little bit. So I say, hey, what do I need to wear so I can, you know, look good but also fit in? So she was like, well, probably should wear some Ole Miss colors, which is totally against what I want to do. You know, I, I'm an LSU fan. Ole Miss colors is not my thing, but I will say I love powder blue. And so I went and I bought this powder blue Ole Miss shirt, and I looked good. I did. And... So I was excited to go, 
And I, I've been to the Grove one time, and it was cold, so we didn't stay long. But this was a sunny day, and so we went. And as we're walking through the Grove, you just walk up to people's tailgates and get whatever you want, have fun. It's one big community. And I did not feel like I fit in because I'm an LSU fan wearing powder blue at Ole Miss. There's something wrong here. And so I didn't feel like I fit in. But people were so welcoming. In fact, in the later quarters of the game, I think it was probably third or fourth quarter, Ole Miss scored this big touchdown. And everybody turned and started high-fiving me and yelling hotty toddy. And I'm like, this does no. But I high-fived back and said, hotty toddy, let's go, you know, because I'm at this Ole Miss game. But it felt good to be in community. And I think that's what we see in this scripture today. Jesus was constantly in community with people. He had his 12 disciples that he spent more time with than he did anybody. And so this morning, I want us to look at Mark 14. And we're going to be talking about the Last Supper and looking at four key points that I think we can see in this scripture. So I'll go ahead and read. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. If not, I believe it's on screen. Yeah. All right. So on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent out two disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water, he'll meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house as he enters, the teacher asks, where is your guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready to go. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left. They went into the city, and they found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. And when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened. And one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. And Jesus said, it is one of the twelve, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man that betrays me. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Skip down to verse 32, and it says, And then they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled, and his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he said to them, Stay here and keep watch. And so that's a lot of scripture. But in this, in this passage, he's with his community. And I think there's four very specific things that we can see. Point number one is Jesus had community. We see early on in Jesus' ministry that he calls 12 men to him. These men, they were just ordinary, everyday people. You know, some of them were fishermen. Some of them were tax collectors. One was a zealot or a politician of that day. And then there were a few that... Um, We don't really know what they did. But fishermen, tax collectors, and politicians don't really have a lot in common. 
But what they did have in common was they were all called by Jesus to spend time with him and be in community with each other. You see, he spent time with these guys, he taught these guys, and most importantly, he loved these guys. See, he knew when he called these 12 men to him that the ministry went way beyond just him. He needed help to advance the gospel and people to carry on the ministry after he was gone. He knew that the ministry of the gospel was way bigger than just Jesus. So he had an assignment to equip people to spread the gospel when he was gone. Let's just be honest. They probably didn't know what they were getting into when they got called. They didn't realize such the burden that they had. I mean, we see in Mark 1, Jesus calls his disciples by simply saying, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I don't know about you, but I'd be hesitant to go. Like if somebody walked through that back door right now and said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, how many of y'all going? No, exactly. But these disciples did. Why? Because they felt something different about being in community with Jesus. They left their community and everything that they knew that was comfortable. There wasn't a hesitation. They left their jobs. They left their comfort zone. They left family. They gave up so much to follow Jesus and to be in community with Jesus. What are you willing to give up to be in community? See, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and Chad Veach, he's a leader of a podcast. He's a pastor um, in L.A., and he was talking about this study that Harvard has recently done about successful men. Now, I don't know about you, but... I want to be successful. And so this kind of piqued my interest. And so I did some research to see how can I be successful? What was the results of this? And so here's what Harvard says. Here's the basis of the study. They followed hundreds of men for decades. Followed them through college, through graduation, through marriage, through war, through parenthood, through life crises, and through old age. They collected a wide range of data about the men's physical and mental well-being. And there's three things that they found to be successful over the course of time. And I want to read them to you. Success is seen over time. That translates for us today, be faithful. Number two, emotional intelligence is key. That translates for us, be aware, be available to the community around you. Number three, relationships, relationships, relationships be in community you see the study found strong relationships to be a far and in a way the strongest predictor of life satisfaction and it was a better predictor of long and happy lives than social class wealth fame iq or even genetics these findings prove true across the board for both harvard men and the inner city participants. Strong relationships are not only correlated with happiness, but with physical health, longevity, and financial success too. You see, Jesus knew the importance of community, so he had it. What about you? Do you have community? Point number two, Jesus served his community. We see in our passage that Jesus and his disciples are at the table and he takes the bread and he breaks it and he serves his disciples. 
You see, last week we had communion, and I just want to say thank you to our deacons for serving that to us because we can take that for granted. But Jesus served his community. All throughout Scripture, we see where Jesus not only served these 12 men, but he served the people that was around him. It didn't matter social class. It didn't matter the color of your skin. It didn't matter gender. He loved the people that were overlooked. He healed people with leprosy. They were laying on the side of the road. He healed people that were paralyzed. He healed people who had internal things going on. But he served. It was inconvenient. It had a price to pay. He served 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. There's so many examples of Jesus taking time to serve the people around him. So how do you serve your community? Well, I think it's so important for us to look back at point number one and see, in order for you to serve your community, you have to be in community. You have to have a community to serve. But here is the reality. We live in a world that tells us, don't worry about community. Get ahead. Do better. Be the best person you can be. Stay on your grind and do what you have to do to be number one. And here's the reality. Your primary community should be your family. And we neglect that because of what society tells us. I was reading on Facebook. I know that sounds old coming from a youth pastor. But I was looking on Facebook and I saw a post of a teacher in, I believe it was Texas, it could have been Tennessee, but she sent this letter home to her parent, the parents of her students. And at the end of the letter, it says, now kids, you're going to love this, but parents, you might not. It says, research has been unable to prove that homework improves student performance. So, this is what I ask of you. Spend your evenings with your kids Doing things that are proven to correlate student success. Eat dinner as a family. Read together. Play together. Play outside. And go to bed early. I like that part. (laughs) Growing up as a family, we always had family dinner. And the rules were simple. No phones at the table and you had to take at least one no thank you bite. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> didn't expect you to laugh out of that one, but we did. That was the rules. The rules were simple. We wanted to be in community with each other. And looking back on this time, I see how important this is for my life because me and my parents that are here today have a great relationship. Why? Because we had community early. We were able to sit at the, at the table together undistracted, being able to let them in and them allow us to be let into some of their things as well. We had community. And I think that's my challenge for you as families. What are you doing to connect to your kids? What are you doing to connect with your spouse? Family is your primary form of community. How do you serve them? The best way to serve your community is to be in community. But what happens when community hurts us? What happens when we don't want to be around community because of the fear of something else happening bad? And that's what we see in number, on point number three. Jesus was betrayed by his community. We see in our passage, 
that while he was at the table, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. In fact, one of you who's eating with me. Talk about a party pooper. I mean, they're eating a good meal. They're having a good time together. And out of nowhere, he stands up and says, I'm about to be betrayed and it's one of you. The 12 disciples were his family. Here's the thing. If we're being honest, some of us avoid community because we got hurt in community. And here's the simple truth. Hurt people hurt people. You can't deny that. You can't avoid it. And some of you are sitting here saying exactly. That's why I don't go wherever. This is why I don't go to Sunday school. This is why I don't go to that church. This is why I don't go to the sidelines at this football game. Because you've been hurt. And that's so real. But here's the reality. You're the one missing out on community, not the person that hurt you. If I'm being honest, I've been hurt. Some of y'all know my story. Um, And one of the people that hurt me the worst was a pastor. But without him hurting me in the way he did, I would never have been able to be where I'm at. Because I understand the importance of pastoring people. Hurt's real, and church hurt is real. I'll tell you, after that happened, I tried to quit going to church altogether. I went home and told my dad, I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing it again. This is dumb. Never thought I'd be in a pulpit, ever. Why? Because I was hurt. But sometimes the place you're hurt is a place you have to find healing. See, the reality is, at the end of the day, we are all broken people in a broken world trying to do the best that we can with what we've got. Now, I want us to look back at the scripture and notice that Jesus knew that Judas was about to betray him. But Jesus loved him anyways. Point number four. Jesus still loved his community. You see, shortly after this dinner, Judas left and he went to betray Jesus. And we see in verses 32 and 34 that we read that Jesus knows what's about to happen. And so he goes to the garden and he takes the rest of his disciples with him. And he's like, stay here and pray. I know what's about to happen. Jesus knew the outcome of the situation was the cross. And Judas was still allowed at the table with him. Judas came into the garden with the soldiers. And the sign of the betrayal was a kiss. The sign of love is a kiss. So it's interesting that he's betrayed with the very thing that's supposed to be a sign of love for one another. Do you think that Jesus' love for Judas changed? If I'm being real, I wouldn't have been as chill as Jesus in this situation. I'd have been dead, you know, like, it wouldn't have happened. But Jesus knew that in order for the plan of the gospel to be seen, go through, and him die on the cross, that this had to happen. 
Therefore, Jesus died for Judas because he loves him. And we see in John 3.16, we go to it all the time, and it can become so numb to us. But I hope you hear this today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We can also read it as this. For God so loved Judas that he gave his one and only son. Or even better, for God so loved your name that he gave his only son. You see... We know God, but we still sin. And we throw around the excuse, well, I'm forgiven. Jesus died for me. I can do whatever I want as long as I repent. But in reality, we're no better than Judas when we sin. Sin is sin no matter how big or small. But Jesus paid the price for you. Community is so important. When I went to the Ole Miss game, I did not expect to learn something biblical. But here's the truth. If we can celebrate something as simple as a touchdown and feel like we're in community, then we as a church family can celebrate things as big as life change and be a part of a real community. You don't have to wear powder blue to fit in or to be welcome in this community. We at East Haven, man, we want you as you are. Why? Because you're one of us. Broken people that Jesus died for. So here's the invitation this morning. Maybe you're in desperate need of community and you want to learn what community looks like here at East Haven. Man, our staff and some counselors are going to be down front. I would invite you, be bold. Step up and let's talk about what that looks like because we want you in community. And we want you to invite people to our community. Not because of numbers, but because we want to be a church that loves people. And then maybe, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe it's by somebody in the church, maybe it's not. But you may need to come down this morning and talk with somebody about how to forgive that person. Or maybe you don't need to talk to anybody. Maybe you know what you need to do, and you just need to come to the altar and pray about it. We're here for you, and man, do that. Don't let us stop what the Lord is doing in your life. Maybe on the flip side of that, you're the person that's hurt somebody, and you know it. And the Lord's eating at you this morning and saying, man, you need to go ask that person for forgiveness. Don't wait. If that's something we can, as a staff or as counselors can help you do, please let us help you through that. We would love to do that. Some of you may even relate with Judas. And you feel the Lord saying, hey, I died for you too. And I want you. You don't have to fix yourself. I just want you just as you are. And that's the invitation this morning. Some of you may have next steps that you need to take. Whatever your response is this morning, man, we would love to be a church family that surrounds you and be a church community that loves you. You see, Jesus had community, and we need community. Jesus served his community, and we're going to serve our community. Jesus was betrayed by his community. It happens. 
Jesus still loved his community. See, we all have a response this morning. So whatever it is that the Lord is leading you to do, I invite you to stand and let's respond.